What's going on, everybody? You got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here with the Miltech Podcast. Uh, this is the last episode of our three-part series with uh, Poplar Ventures. Uh, we had a lot of fun, uh, but there's one more episode here that you get to listen to. Uh, so this episode is all about uh, how a venture capital firm, quote, digs in after the investment has been made. So John likes to say that once he invests in a company, his favorite part of the process, and many other venture capitalists like to say this as well, um, is when they get to dig in and help the company scale and grow using their capital. Um, and so the big part of this episode is talking about once that transaction's over, uh, the stress of the investment's done, but you have a new challenge, which is to scale your business. Um, and luckily, now you have, like I said, uh, that venture capitalist to help you along the way. Uh, so this, this episode's all about um, that part of the process, which is basically the end of the fundraising process and you building your company, and now you've got you know, your venture capital firm in your ring. Yeah, and now you can kind of consider this venture capital firm and the people associated with that firm as kind of part of your team. A lot of times we'll take uh, board seats on your board and help give you advice. Uh, they'll help with emotional support. They'll help give you intros. Uh, if you have additional capital needs, they'll help you out with that as well. Uh, so John kind of outlines all of these different things that a VC can do uh, to ensure the companies in the portfolio are going to be successful. Um, so we'll cover exactly how they assist in these ways to make sure that their investments are, are well looked after. Um, and we'll go over kind of the, the nitty gritty of what it looks like um, once this investment has been made, once everything has been approved, and once you are out building your company using these funds to make something great. Um, so we're going to go ahead and dive on in. Uh, we hope you guys have enjoyed the series, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing what you guys think. So on this episode, like John mentioned on uh, episode two, uh, he likes to dig in. Uh, as any venture capital firm should, after the investment, they should be supporting the entrepreneur, doing every they can, everything they can to make sure it remains a successful business and grows into a successful business. Uh, so we're going to dive into what that looks like. So briefly touch on, you know, as a venture capital firm, and specifically Poplar Ventures here in Middle America, uh, what do you guys bring to the table after the investment? How do you guys continue to provide value throughout the life cycle of the, the company? Yeah. So, um, well, so one is we've talked about in the prior episodes, but one of one of the pieces is bringing our own experience, obviously, in terms of, you know, operating background and or financial background um, to the to the table. Um, second, I would say would be um, Poplar has a little bit of a different structure with our investment advisory partners where we have seven individuals that are also limited partners that act um, are, that are available to the portfolio companies to assist them. And these are folks that have deep software technology experience, you, you know, CTOs, CFOs, CEOs. And when I say CEOs, CEOs that have actually gone from very early to 200 million plus revenue. So, um, so these are folks that have got real experience and they've been there before. And again, being able to make those folks available to the, to the, portfolio companies to help them through whatever issue that they might be dealing with at that particular time. Every, um, every investment is different. Um, every entrepreneur is different. Um, so part of what we try to do is to try to identify 
what their strengths are, what their weaknesses might be, and try to think about how we can complement what they are doing. So, um, and that's, I mean, it is true. Every, every single entrepreneur is very different. Uh, and that is half the battle, I think, you know, really trying to figure out how do they build out their team? I, we spend a lot of time thinking about team. Um, and even though when you, when an investor first makes that investment in a team, I've never seen a business that did not evolve their team, right? So in Nextel, when I started, uh, you know, we had a certain management team. Within three or four or five years, there was a new management team. Within and they five, kept you. With, you know, they, well, I, I, yeah, I, hopefully I was doing a good job. But with another four or five years, there's a new, there's another management team. So, um, and so it's natural that that occurs as you grow your business. You're going to constantly be bringing in individuals that have been at that level of the company and can take it to the next level. So those are really important things to think about. And so I, I, I try, try to spend a lot of time about on team and recognize that, you know, again, you're, it's never perfect. It's never going to stop changing, but constantly be looking for ways to upgrade the team so that you can go build that business. Cause ultimately the business doesn't build itself, right? <laughs> it is about the people that are leading the company. They're the ones that are going to make it go. So a lot of focus on that. Um, and again, the investment advisory partners really, and from our perspective can bring a lot to the table there, uh, given the, the, the deep experience that they, that they have. Um, what else would you say in terms of, in terms of value add? Yeah. Uh, well, one note I will say, given the fact that I've only been here a little less than three months, so almost an outsider looking in on the advisory partners is it is very unique in the sense that they really want to be involved. Like John said, they're investors in the fund. So they kind of see the benefit here. And I've, you know, I know a lot of funds out there. I've, I've spoken with a lot of funds. I have operating partners, advisors, LPs that are strategic in nature that, you know, may take a phone call here and there and maybe have a conversation. But, you know, one thing I have been impressed with from Poplar's standpoint and the advisory partners is they are asking us or asking John, how can they get involved? How can they reach out to the founders and, and be a value add person to, you know, you know, not only a portfolio company, but diligence as well. So, uh, I will note that, that I do view that as a you know key differentiator there. Um, you know, financial reporting is one that we usually help. So at the stage we're investing, I would say most times than not, there's likely not a sophisticated financial reporting function involved in the company. So putting together financial reporting packages on a monthly basis to help the company think through, you know, strategically, how do you use KPIs to drive the strategies you're trying to make decisions around your go-to-market strategy, for example. Um and then probably part of the advisory panel, but also just network in general is uh, customer and supplier vendor support. So, you know, really talking about from a technology standpoint, given we only invest in software, what is your technology stack, you know, from a vendor and cloud hosting network, who are you using? It, can you scale with that? Um, so different strategic elements around there and then customers making introductions to help drive value from that perspective. John, when you're forming your your fund and having people invest in it, do you strategically try to pick people uh, that have some sort of expertise that could benefit the companies you invest in? That seems like it'd be a perfect crossroads to have that. Is that something you're intentionally doing when you're uh, that fund? Well, in in my in this per, in this particular case, because it was a you know a relatively small fund, twenty two million, mm -hmm. um, 
and I focused entirely on high net worth individuals. So I didn't go to any institutional money. Um, by its nature, I was going to individuals that have business success in some sort, right? Um, and they all, you know, some some are within the software technology world. Some of them aren't. Uh, but the ones that were in the software technology world, I was very consciously recruiting to get them to invest. Now, I actually had a couple that I really wanted to be on the investment investment advisory, uh, you know, group um, that ultimately decided not to invest in the fund. I said, well, you know, I'm not going to put you on the group if you're not going to invest. So that was kind of a, you know, from my standpoint of kind of a you know, a little bit of a check to say, are you, are you willing to, you know, put your money in and support what we're doing? Um, but so there were a few that I actually was really trying to get on <laughs> that group, uh, but they ultimately decided not to invest it, which is fine. Um, but I'm very happy with the group that I've got. So, um, and again, you can't, I, I wasn't trying to get every investor involved because it, it's, it's unwieldy, right? So part of, part of what I'm trying to do with this group is I feel a little bit like a matchmaker um, it, again, I'm, I'm very conscious of trying to understand how can this particular investment advisory partner help that particular entrepreneur or can they, maybe they can't, maybe they're not the one that I should kind of, that, that should be involved, um, with that particular company. So I'm, I'm constantly thinking about that, trying to figure that out. I'm trying to let that occur naturally. So for example, create opportunities for those folks, the partners to have, have dialogue with the entrepreneurs, um, make sure that they're well-informed about what's going on with the company and allow that natural, you know, relationship to develop over time. And I think that would be, that's ultimately the best, but I do feel like at the, at the earliest stage, I am trying to do a little bit of a matchmaker to make sure that I'm getting the right people involved in each company. And, and to give the entrepreneurs listening, you know, a more general perspective, do most venture capital firms in this area have an advisory board like you guys, or does that make you unique? Talk about, you know, what that looks like in a general sense, you know, in this part of the United States. I think it, look, I mean, it's our funds. Of course it's unique, right? No, I, <laughs> I, I, I do think it's a little bit unique. I mean, definitely there are, there are definitely firms that have advisory boards and there, there are firms that have their own network in different ways, right? So a lot of the very successful VC firms have networks of executives that they've either invested in previously or that they built in their they built up their network. That may be more valuable than our group, honestly. Uh, but I I do think it is a value add. You know, again, I'm not going to get into a game of trying to compare. You know, this one's better than the other one, but um, I definitely think it's a value add, and it is something that we consciously try to bring to the table. Yeah, and we're going to dive into you know these points you you mentioned here. You know, the customer and supplier support, the go-to-market, the talent. They, we're, we'll dive even deeper into the advisory partners you have. Um, but do you guys get a board seat typically when you guys make these investments? Uh, talk about that briefly because an entrepreneur should expect, you know, some kind of board change when they're getting an investment. Dive into that a bit and um, what does is, what is the representation look like for you guys? And at this point, uh, what does a typical board even look like for this stage of a company? Well, so, you know, when we were talking about term sheet, you know, the governance piece is a big part of that term sheet, right? Other than economics, um, the, and, you know, I would say typically if you're, if, if the, whoever the lead investor is typically going to ask for a board seat and you should expect that they will have a, have a board seat. Um, 
there may be other investors in a particular round that would be become board observers. They may not. So in other words, a board observer, you know, I think most people understand what that is, but basically what that means is they're not technically a board member. Therefore they don't have voting board rights, but they are allowed to come to the meetings and they're allowed to get all of the information that is shared with the board so that they can basically be up to speed. So I would say our, our, our philosophy, I'm, I'm, I never want to kind of say this is, there's only one way to do this. I have a bias toward being on the board and that's primarily so that I can add value, right? If I don't know what's going on with the company, it's a little hard for me to really kind of dig in and help. So, uh, so it's partially a, I want to be there from a fiduciary. I have investors. So therefore I want to basically look out for that investment. So I want to be on the board. Um, but I'm fine in certain situations, you know, if we take a board observer seat instead of an actual board seat. Um, and again, the point, the, the important point is that we actually are aware of what's going on with the company. We have the dialogue with other board members. We have uh, the ability to communicate with the CEO and the, and the management team so that we're getting a feel for what are the issues with the, that particular company, what are the ways that we can assist. That's the important part. And so it, it, I also view it very strongly that if you, if somebody doesn't want me on the board, then I probably shouldn't be investing. I, I truly believe that. So part of the fit process is if you come to me and say, well, you know, I'll be happy to take your money, but I'm not going to give you a board seat or a board observer, then I'm not in. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not, I, because I just don't, that, that just, you signal to me right there that you don't think I'm adding any value. Um, and again, you don't want to have, you, you don't want your board, the actual board to get too big. Right. So I, I'm always, I, I generally try to keep it no more than five would be the goal. If you get, as you raise more rounds, the board can get bigger because you got more investors and therefore the investors want to have a seat at the board. Um, but, um, you know, my philosophy is board observers, again, don't want to get too many, but if it's, if it's, if the investor is value add, then that's a good thing, right? You should want them to be involved and be available. One of the things that you had mentioned you bring support for is customer supplier support. Uh, what does that mean? Because I haven't heard that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's using, capitalizing on the network of the BC, right? And so we have advisors and, and those advisors could be potential customers. They could be potential vendor suppliers. Um, but in general, the network of your relationships and using those to think strategically about who a potential customer could be. I think I'll focus on the customer side because I think that's really where the true value in it lies. And so not only talking about, hey, working to become a near-term actual customer, but also could be talking with an executive at a larger corporation and thinking through go-to-market strategy and, and potential pricing and customers like that because they are a relationship of yours and not everybody has that type of relationship, but utilizing those ones to where you could say, have a conversation with this executive or this founder to talk about, hey, what would they need to do to maybe become, you know, selling into the enterprise level versus the SMB market, um, if that is a strategy that they have on their roadmap and what it, would it take to be able to sell into your company, XYZ, whatever it is. So I think really there is kind of where you're just leveraging your network to drive value from a customer perspective and vendor perspective. Yeah, what about helping companies go to market? So I, assume, I, I know that you guys 
pretty much only invest after a company has got revenue and, and all that. So does that necessarily mean, you know, expanding their market? What does that look like? I, I would say that, um, you know, it's, it's going to be around, again, working within the network of the, of your contacts and in, in terms of, you know, do you have, uh, sales and marketing executives in your network that have the experience to, that might be of value to this particular company. Um, it is around being strategic, thinking through strategically, what is the go-to-market and how are you trying to build, are you trying to build direct sales? Are you trying to build, you know, partnerships? Uh, you know, are you trying to just basically be a kind of a product-led marketing-driven company? You know, there's a lot of different ways that you can go about it and you have to kind of sort through those. So I'd say more from our perspective, probably more strategic input in terms of how you're doing that. And then trying to bring, again, the right people to the table that have got the ability to help you think that through. Okay, so let's talk about bringing those right people to the table, because I know a big part of it is helping those companies acquire that talent. So what is that side of the business or that side of the advising look like? Well, again, it's, you know, it's, it's the network, right? So it's, it's being willing to open up the Rolodex and, and say, you need to be talking to this, this particular person. They've gone through this already. That's really what you're trying to do. I mean, I, I, it's not, I don't think it's much more complicated than that. Um, and, and, you know, again, back to the investment advisory partners, you know, one of the things we try to do, they have networks too. Right. So these are all successful software executives. So we may not know them. You know, it's kind of like LinkedIn. Right. It's like I, I'm on a, I'm 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 only one or two removed from, you know, the right executive that that this particular entrepreneur needs to be talking to in order to help them think through that go to market strategy. So let's find those. Let's find those right people to help them. Mm -hmm. And at the stage you guys are investing in these companies, what kind of hires are typically helping them make at this point? Are they hiring VP of sales? You know, at Series A, uh, what are some of those more common roles you guys are trying to help fill that you guys see? It's the, it's the I would say it's the it's the layer that reports to the CEO it, across the board. And, and again, every company comes at you with a actually most companies don't have a complete team, right? If you're at, if you're at this stage either by design or, you know, they haven't had the capital yet to be able to hire those, those folks. It's not a, that's not a knock on those companies. It's just, it is what it is. And, but I, but I, most companies that we're looking at don't have a complete team. There is a gap somewhere. So it's about, okay, within that senior team that reports to the CEO, what are the gaps and let's make sure we fill those gaps. Yeah. And one thing, too, and I wanted to touch on earlier when we were talking about team and adding value. And from that perspective, um, you know, John was hitting on it. Um, it does change. And I don't think that's a bad thing from the founder's perspective. Sometimes they get very emotionally tied to the team. But every strategy changes for your different milestones that you're trying to hit. So in our business, it's usually centralized around ARR. So, you know, what got you from a million to 10 million of ARR is likely going to be much different than what gets you from 10 million to 25 million, then 25 million to a hundred million. And likely is centralized around the team that you're putting around likely the founders or CEO to go accomplish those milestones. 
And so sometimes founders, you know, that can be a sticking point between investors and founders of what, who is that right team to go accomplish those milestones. And so having an open mind on both sides of the table about who that right person is, and, and that's, I think, where we come into play and not maybe having it in our network, but also asking the right questions of the CEO and probing them from a talent perspective, but also from a customer and go-to-market strategy, like you were just asking about, asking the right questions to make them think about, are you working towards a milestone or are you just working to be happy in the environment that you're in today? And I think those are kind of the key elements of which we try and add value along the way of hitting those milestones. Yeah. John, from your experience, uh, of the many years you've been, you know, doing this and been in the industry, what's typically the hardest position people are hiring for? You know, what are some positions that people hire for and they, they might fail several times? Have you seen a particular like the the one they're not good at? <laughs> Makes sense. Right? I mean they wouldn't know what to look for if they're not good yeah, at Yeah, I mean if you're I my, I would say in an early stage business that what I've seen most the most difficult to hire is typically around the go-to-market side. Um, you can, you know, you think about it, especially because we're focused on software technology, the product side and the technology side, getting a product to market, that's well known at this point for the most part, right? You, you got plenty of technology people that can go develop the product and, and, and think about how they would go get it to market. You got a lot of people that know how to do digital marketing you know, to kind of get a little bit of awareness about what your product is and so forth. The sales side is hard, right? I mean, sales sales is, uh, you know, it's the oldest, you know, it, it's like the it's oldest hard. profession in, in the world, but yeah. it's hard. Yeah. Um, and if you're in an early stage business, it's even harder because you're, if you're not really crystal clear about what your value proposition is to the customer and you don't have a good methodology for how you go communicate to that customer and the process and follow up and all of those things, then you're, you're not going to be very good at it. Um, so, so again, I, but it, but it, I think it is dependent on, again, that's part of the value of, of one of the things I was going to say earlier is that the, the value of um, building the relationship with the CEO. So one of the things I, that I, I really try to do is to, have enough dialogue with them, even outside board meetings, where you're be able to have more informal conversations about what's going on with the business. And when things heat up in in whatever way that might be, you know, whether it's competition or or you know, you've got team issues or whatever it happens to be, you've got the ability to have a trusted person there that can help you think it through. Right. And is not going to is not going to judge it. And I, I, I don't it goes back to something I said at, at one point around no surprises. Just disclose, just talk. Tell us what you're doing. What what problems do you have? If you got concerns, let me know what those are. I can't help you if you don't tell me. And 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 then the worst again, the worst is I get surprised. Right. You like hide it. Because you're either, you know, you don't, you, you don't, you're, you don't want to disclose it, but then I get surprised. And now I'm, now I'm like, come on, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta tell me what's going on. Good and bad. Yeah. We're, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going away. Give me the good and the bad. I'm going to help you. Yeah. I mean, do you intentionally try to foster that kind of environment to be for founders to be vulnerable with you in those kind of ways? Because I'm, I'm sure there's times when 
there's probably an issue that arises. Like, I don't know if this is worthy of telling my, my lead investor about, but I feel like if you can intentionally foster a type of relationship with that founder where they're willing to be vulnerable, is that, are you constantly taking steps to try and, you know, know more about the life outside of the business? Or I feel like there's a lot of things you could do to try and, you know, have that open line of communication. I'm not sure that I'm smart enough to actually do what you just said, but, <laughs> but I would, I would say that, yes, the answer is yes. I do try to build a relationship where I feel like that we've got a, a very open dialogue, mm -hmm. right? And I want the entrepreneur and the CEO to feel like they can come to me with anything mm -hmm. and, and be able to, to, you know, talk about that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I try to be very open and I try to be objective. And sometimes I, you know, I say, look, I've got my investor hat on now. Recognize I've got my investor hat on. Now I've got my board hat on. Now I've got my, you know, just friend hat on. So recognize that I'm, you know, I'm here to help um, and let's work through it. Yeah. And Christian, when we were talking about this and preparing, you want to be there. You'd said this, that one of your all's goals is to be there through the good and bad times, right? You yeah. know, throughout it all. Um, you know, talk about how you guys, you know, do that. Like, just talk about how often you're talking to them. Are you meeting with them in person in their offices? Are you going out to dinner? Talk more about what it actually looks like to do what you just can't do about. dinner. It's COVID, man. Come on. <laughs> Whenever Adapt let's, just imagine, let's just imagine. Let's just imagine this is evergreen content. This is gonna last a while. <laughs> it's gonna end someday. Uh, so when when you, when it's all over, what does it look like? Yeah. So I mean, I think you know the biggest. We definitely talk the specifics on the how, but the biggest message there is consistency. And, you know, I think that's the core message of what John's talking about is even in the positives and the negatives that you're the same partner to the founder group and executive team in that entire process. And so when things are going super well, you're not just, you know, high-fiving them, patting them on the back saying you're doing a good job, but you're just asking the same types of questions you would, you know, normally. And then, in the bad times, same thing. You're involved, you know, to John's point, they're having an open dialogue with you and you're getting engaged to try and help in any way you can because it's also important to us as the investors. You know, so many complaints that I'll hear from entrepreneurs who have, you know, brought on institutional capital and um, been successful or not successful. They've talked about, you know, when it got really bad, that's the first time I got the call from the lead investor. And I think that's not the type of investor Poplar wants to be. We want to be there, again, throughout the good, thinking how you could get even better in that good time, right? You're in probably in an inflection point. So how can you continue to capitalize on all the success you're having today, but also thinking about, you know, this inflection is probably going to flatten out at some point, but then how do you create the next inflection? And are you setting yourself up for that? And then on the bad, you know, if things are going bad, you lose a key customer. Well, how do you continue to go out and execute on your go-to-market and sales strategy to get the next big customer? And just continue to probe and ask those questions, have an open dialogue, and just be consistent in that partnership is probably the critical message. And at what point do you guys see a red flag um, in the relationship and, and try to triage? Like, what are some ways that you see? Is it because they haven't talked to you for a while? What are some things that you see and you say, this is, we should probably, like, hone in on this business a little bit more because we're not getting engagement or we're not getting the right kind of communications. What are some things you've seen related to that relationship that, you know, is a red flag? Oh, it's a tough one. Um, right now, fortunately, I've got, I got, you know, four pretty good CEOs in the portfolio that are all, you know, pretty good about communicating. So I don't have any issues with the, with the ones that are there right now in the past. Um, it, 
you know, sometimes it can be about disclosure, you know, disclosure, but it also can be about, um, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll give a, and you won't know who this is, but I've, I've, I've got involved in a business in the past where the CEO was just very too, uh, optimistic, consistently optimistic. And, and, you know, what, what is it? Uh, over promise under deliver. It's just uh, really bad, you know, I, I, and so you lose credibility. Um, so that's one I really don't like. Um, again, I would, I, I want you to, I want you to achieve high goals because we're trying to grow businesses here, but I also want you to, to hit your targets. Be realistic. Yeah. Be realistic. Yeah. Exactly. Tell me, tell me what exactly is going on in the business. Don't give me the Pollyanna stuff. So that's one that I, that, that I'm, I don't know that I'm looking for it, but I'm, it definitely is one that I don't like. Yeah. And I'd echo that. And that was actually going to be one of the points I made was one of the, my past experiences, you know, when companies are in the bad times, when you see an executive continue to preach that the strategy that they're working on is working, but then the results are speaking opposite than that on a consistent basis, month over month, quarter over quarter. And they're, um, very set in their ways and not open to you know different approaches or the opinion of the board or the other management members. You know, you talk about a red flag to me that that's when the red flag is when you start seeing results that are not correlating to the message that that executive is telling you. Um, I think that's a big red flag. And then when they start telling you not adapting to different ideas or at least being open to different ideas that are coming, you know, whether it's from their co-management team or the board or whoever it may be, their own advisors, that's, you know, where the red flag really gets raised. Yeah. We, we have a, I think Poplar's got a little bit of advantage because we're small. We're kind of more of a boutique firm, if you will. So you, we can be a little bit more hands-on and a little bit more um, available. Um, but it's, you know, and, and, and you guys are young guys, but I, you know, at my, it's this is a stage of my career. It, it, it feels good to be able to give back and to be able to help. And, you know, one of the things that Christian and I have been talking about, we're going to launch a, a, what we call Poplar Open Forum, which is a, um, um, an opportunity to, basically one day a month, you know, half a day a month, basically open our calendar to anybody in the startup emerging growth, you know, stage, you know, type of company to jump on a Zoom call, hopefully at some point in person, uh, but jump on a Zoom call and have a conversation about whatever you want to have a conversation about, uh, to be available to give them feedback um, and help. And even if it's not a technology company, you know, I, I'll be the first to say when you, if you come to me with something that I don't know about, then I'm going to tell you I don't know. Uh, but I do know a lot about the business side and there's plenty of pattern recognition within the business side that I can help with a lot of times. And so I just think, you know, again, it's a way to give back. It's a way to try to um, help uh, entrepreneurs that are at earlier stages and a lot of, when I'm looking at companies at that stage, it's more about honestly trying to keep them from making stupid mistakes, um, try to help them think through things. And, you know, the, I see some there's no question there's sometimes when I'm, I, I listen to something somebody says and I'm going in my head, I'm going. Do they really just say that? 
are they are they are they really don't understand what, what what's going on there? I don't say that because I, I I'm trying to be respectful that everybody has to learn for the first time at some point, and I don't know where everybody is in their journey uh, in terms of doing that. So they may be confronting something for the first time, and so I need to be respectful of that and be able to give them a a valid answer. Um, you know, if you ask me that twice, then I'm going to start, you know, saying something's wrong with you. <laughs> but but I do try. I, I, w- I want to help. And I think that we again, we've talked about this. So we'll be we'll be start doing that in the next uh, sometime in the next month. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, anybody like John said, it's open to anybody and they can go visit the website to kind of log on and see the calendar schedule time with John and I, and we're going to be rotating out and uh, open to anybody, and we'll discuss any topic available at that time. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you walking us through the topics of, you know, the hunt, uh, the investment, and what it looks like after the investment. You know, I think this is going to be super helpful for the community here uh, in Kentucky and in middle America in general. I think this is something that has been missing. A lot of times when you look up venture capital or you look up what does it mean to raise money as a startup, you get the West Coast and you get the East Coast perspectives, but I think it's important to also get the Middle America perspective and also the perspective of somebody, you know, right here in our backyard. Uh, so we really appreciate you guys coming and sharing this information. Uh, hopefully, you viewer, you listeners and viewers, hopefully this is uh, very valuable. Uh, we'll be releasing these uh, each week. So over the next, we've released two already, and so this is the last one, but we're also going to be releasing blogs and videos, and so go check those out. Uh, but hopefully this is helpful uh, and we definitely appreciate you know john and christian you guys coming and doing this thank you very much thank you guys yeah, thank you appreciate what you guys are doing all right logan we had a ton of fun doing that didn't we we sure did uh we plan to do a lot more series like that uh john and christian were great to work with uh they are a very approachable venture capital firm so if you guys want to reach out to them uh please do uh john and christian would love to hear from you uh, you can find them on their website you can reach out to them on their emails that we'll put uh in this series notes and on the blogs so please reach out to them uh, but if you're a venture capitalist, you're a founder, uh, you're an ecosystem supporter and you want to learn more about what we're doing, or you just want to learn more about the startup process in general, if you're just a listener, uh, please reach out. Uh, we're always available, uh, willing to speak, and we're trying to create more content like this all the time. So if there's, again, any part of the process that you want to learn more about, uh, we'll be happy to help. Yeah, and we're big on making sure this uh, this content gets out to the people it's supposed to get out to and the way to do that. Uh, is by making sure that you're following us on social media, uh, sharing us when something resonates with you, uh, rating us and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast platforms. So if you just search Middle Tech Podcast on any of your favorite platforms, you're likely going to find us. Um, And it would mean the world to us if you went and rated us on one of our favorite podcast platforms, which is Podchaser. Uh, We think it would be your favorite platform too if you went and checked it out. Uh, So if you go and, and give us a rate, uh, that would that'd be huge for us. That helps us get discovered. That helps us put this content uh, far and wide, which is the the overall mission here. We're wanting to spread uh, the gospel of this region and what's going on here in the startup ecosystem as far as we possibly can. So thank you guys for following along in this series. We're looking forward to doing more like this, like Evan said. Um, and if you ever have any feedback for us or things that you would like to see us doing more of or maybe less of if we're not doing something well, please don't hesitate to reach out. So thank you guys for tuning in. Um, we'll see you guys for the next episode.